Hello, and welcome to the Be Yourself podcast. I am Beatriz, a licensed social worker and spoken word artist. You can find me on Instagram at Annette Spoken Social Worker and on Facebook on my Facebook page, Miss B. Johnny Depp is known as one of the greatest actors in Hollywood, also known to have dated supermodels and co-stars, none of which had ever reported to have been physically abused by him. However, in 2012, he started dating Amber Heard, and this year, she took the stand to talk about their toxic relationship and horrible abuse she claims she had experienced while dating Johnny Depp. The trial was televised for all to see, and everyone had an opinion on who was telling the truth and who should win the trial. Amber Heard, in particular, took on a lot of media hate, especially after Dr. Shannon Curry went on the stand to explain the possibility of Amber Heard having borderline personality disorder. To me, personally, I felt that no one with any mental illness should have to endure any sort of hate, especially one that claims to have been a victim of abuse. The tables were slowly turning, and I felt I was part of the problem. So I wanted to have a serious conversation about this. Dr. Courtney Tracy, a licensed therapist, took on Instagram after Dr. Curry's diagnosis and explained her own struggles with BPD, but also to explain that we are all human first and foremost, and Amber Heard is no different. Hi, Dr. Courtney Tracy. Welcome to the Be Yourself podcast. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have this discussion. Yes. So I've been wanting to have this discussion for a while. It's been a couple of months already since the the Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard trial. Um, And it was a trial that I think like everybody attended from their uh, computer screens. Uh, I, I joke around with my coworkers that I think I clocked into the Johnny Depp trial earlier than I did to my actual job Um, (laughs) and it was just so it was so incredibly interesting and I do recall I was very pro team Johnny Depp and um, so when the trial started you know like a a lot of the things that I was hearing and uh, we we definitely have to get like the the attorneys of Johnny Depp like obviously giving the flowers where the flowers are due like they did really great in presenting their case but then you went onto social media and there was just so much bashing of amber heard and it was just like wait okay that's that's not what i stand for Mm -hmm. um quickly um and so i remember you know asking other social workers like i really want to have this conversation but i want to have a conversation with a social worker because i just think that in the field of social work, we don't just look at the person, but we look at like the environment and the community. And Mm -hmm. so I I really wanted to dive into this conversation. Um, But I I really, you know, when I talk to social workers, they're like, well, I don't know, I don't want to pick a side. Um, And I'm like, no, I don't want to pick a side either. It's the exact opposite. Like I want to talk about how this turned so quickly on us and how we are judging Amber Heard in particular, but not just only so much because of her story and whether she's lying or not, but then putting on that judgment into women in general. And then on top of that, um, using her mental health against her. And so that, what does that say about us as a society 
and what we believe in, in mental health is that stigma still there. Um, so then I saw your post <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, your post just, it, it was, uh, it, it was beautiful to me. I loved the way that you said it. Um, uh, but I actually came across you just like diving into other social workers and other therapists on Instagram. And then I dived more into you and you're like an Instagram TikTok sensation when it comes to the mental health field. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say that. It's been a very wild three years. Uh, yeah, I'm just trying to navigate it. Being a voice that tries to give uh, really nuanced, unbiased, and like sort of meeting in the middle understandings of the things that we see in the world and, and, and even just the general population, what they see in the media and in pop culture. And for example, this trial, how can I, you know, provide with the platforms that I have uh, so many people too, like over 2 million people. How can I just try to normalize this mental health experience that they are either having or seeing unfold in society and just kind of not obviously be a social worker or a therapist for the world, but provide mm -hmm. a social work or therapist perspective for anybody who's willing to listen. And so how long have you been in practice? So I started working in community mental health in 2012, um, having a caseload. And then in 2014, and that was just when I had my bachelor's, actually, I was doing a bunch of internships and research. And then I started my master's program in 2014, finished in 2016, was licensed at the end of 2018. Um, but I worked in rehab as a director of clinical operations for co-occurring treatment centers from 24 to 28. So before I even had my licensing, I was directing clinical departments alongside mm -hmm. licensed clinicians because I just understood the policies, the procedures, and the client care, honestly, better than they did. And then I opened up my own practice when I was 27. I was still not licensed at the time, so, but I opened up my own rehab. I had all these clinicians, wow. psychiatrists working, working underneath me in Santa Barbara. And I just sold that in April of 2021 because I was having serious mental health issues. Um, and I'm actually starting up a new practice now, but it won't be open for quite a few months. <laughs> wow, that's amazing that you've been able to do that for the community of mental health. And um, so then when did you start on social media? and and um, promoting mental health on, on social media? Yeah. So I started in at the end of 2019. Um, and I did that because in the beginning of 2019, uh, my husband was publicly arrested because of a mental health substance use, like relapse or uh, regression, I guess you could say. Um, and that was really difficult because he was the co-owner of our treatment center together. And so this was a very public experience. Uh, so it was really hard for him and really hard for me as a clinician to sort of be experiencing the things that people were saying about my husband and my practice and my family. And none of it was true, but it was starting to really affect my mental health too. And I started engaging in like increased substance use. Um, I was having nightmares, flashbacks, just a lot of trauma and anxiety and, and use to sort of numb and just 
kind of back away from the world. And it was interesting because that's what I was treating at the same time. And I realized, and it didn't get really bad, obviously, I would have taken a step back if I knew that I wasn't providing the care that I would need to provide, but I also wasn't client facing. So I was able to continue doing my job as the CEO. And Mm -hmm. over the summer, that summer of 2019, I realized that I'm acting as though mental health and substance use issues are something to be embarrassed about. They're something we should hide away. And I was just kind of appalled at my own behavior that I was hiding the things that I'm telling my clients and that my facility is telling our clients to be open about and to not be ashamed of. And so at the end of 2019, actually on my son's first birthday, I was like, I want to create a world where people can talk openly about their substance use and mental health issues, even if they're a licensed therapist, even if they're a medical doctor, whatever your profession is, it doesn't make you not a human being. And that's why I called myself the truth doctor. So I could use my truth as a way to help other people doctor their pain. Cause doctor just means to cure something, to contribute something, you know, when you get a doctorate, you're contributing to a part of the field. And so as the truth doctor, use my truth to help other people share their truth. And we can hopefully create a world that's more open to healing, starting with more, you know, being open to more conversations. And bringing that awareness uh, to social media, you have been able to impact so many people. And I love and admire that you are not embarrassed and that you're not ashamed and that you're breaking the stigma, not only for like the community at large, but for mental health professionals as well. I, I'm, I'm kind of tired of this uh, also persona of, because we're mental health professionals, we need to keep it together. And it's like, but mm-hmm. we don't have it together. Look at, like, I mean, look at what we do. I know. <laughs> um, we, we can't always have it together. And that's just so much what I admired about you. And that's what drew me to, to your page also. Um, Thank you. Yeah, and, and and thank you, thank you for for putting all of this out there. So your your voice is heard by so many people. Um, so how did you feel when it came to opening up about your own mental health, and then also talking about the the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard um, trial? Yeah, so it was pretty easy for me to open up about my anxiety, my trauma, uh, my prior substance use. And and the thing that I didn't really open up about right away, and I didn't realize that I wasn't doing this in the beginning of my platform. um, I didn't do it all throughout 2020. I think I started to finally tell people in 2021 that I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder um, as far back as 2012. And like when, right when I started working in the mental health field, because it was just the, those, there's, those were where my people, my people were there, mm-hmm. both professionals and peers. And so I started opening up about it. And it, what was interesting was I expected so much backlash. Like I just expected people to be so worried about my, how I would be treating my clients and like if I could even own a center. It's like, you know, just that they must have perceived me as so incredibly unstable because that's just the stigma that's related to BPD. Uh, and, and I actually did not receive a lot of that. I received, 
Instead, I received, oh my God, wow, you've accomplished so much in your life having borderline personality disorder. And then the other comment would be, are you sure that you have it? Because you do not seem like you have it, right? This is just people online that don't know me at all. So I thought it was kind of interesting. And it, it, I realized that I probably didn't open up about it a little bit because of the stigma, um, even after I had already opened up about the other issues that I was having. But I also realized just how much stigma was, was in the comments that I was receiving. Like, are you sure that you have it? And to me, that's a very stigmatizing question because it implies that they are functioning from the perception that every single human being on the planet that has borderline personality disorder cannot be successful, is always right. erratic. And I was like, oh my God, like, I mean, thank you. Mm -hmm. You're telling me I appear very calm and, and stable and safe. Um, but that doesn't mean that, that everybody with BPD is violent or that or that I don't have it because yeah. I seem stable. So like I started opening up about it a little bit and then, and it was actually, I think it was towards the end or no, it was, yeah, towards the end of 2021, then come 2022, the trial. And mm -hmm. <laughs> I started watching the trial a, the day before uh, Dr. Curry came out with her diagnostic impression or her assessment. I know she wasn't diagnosing her, but she was saying she met the criteria for these. So mm -hmm. I started following it the day before. And then the, like the second day I'm following it. And actually the first day I was watching the trial, I listened to the audio. I saw the videos. I saw like just how Amber was presenting, how she was presented on both sides of the case. And I actually DM'd someone who was one of the major reporters on the case. And I obviously wasn't diagnosing Amber Heard, but I DM'd her and I said, I'm pretty sure, because she was really tearing her to pieces. And I said, I'm pretty sure that this person, Amber Heard, has, has borderline personality disorder. Like, I see my, my past self so much in her behavior. I didn't get a response. But then the next day, Dr. Shannon Curry comes out and literally says the same thing that I was thinking. And I hadn't even obviously assessed or done anything. And I just want to say now I'm still not diagnosing her because obviously I cannot do that. And I don't really know. Um, so like I came on Instagram stories and I was like, okay, like to my whole following, I'm like, okay, you guys, like, I know I have to, now I have to come and talk about it. Like I'm watching the trial. People are sending me clips. I'm like, uh, I think the most known therapist right now in society that's being open about having borderline and like really diving into the honest truth about everything that I have done in my past as a result of the disorder, regardless of what people have to say about it. So I went live on YouTube and was like, I'm just going to take these disorder criteria one step at a time, go through every single one and explain what it looks like from the outside, which I completely understand people's perspective, and but also what it feels like on the inside, which I think most people with borderline personality never truly get the opportunity to actually share. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that because not only were you coming from the perspective of like, this is what I have and this is what I know, but also as like, look, I'm a mental health professional and I know this. Um, mm -hmm. 
I think that that's what's also very impactful. I know when you were talking about just basically the stigma and not being sure or, or just not really coming out, you know, as far as like having BPD uh, at first, I know that, um, you know, I've been diagnosed with major depression for a very, very long time. Um, and I never actually came out to, to my professional colleagues. Um, yeah. First, I came out to basically like my artistic family because I'm a spoken mm -hmm. word artist. And so I would write a lot of press. Um, and uh, the artists were just very welcoming. And so I, I developed a very great community and support with my artistic family, with my spoken word family. Um, and so when the trial was coming on, I did get like a lot of friends just like DM me and like joke like, hey, look, it's Johnny Depp. You're in love with Johnny Depp, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, and then, you know, it, like a part of me was like, maybe I'm part of the problem because yeah, maybe I am team Johnny Depp, but these comments are not good towards Amber Heard I don't I don't like this I don't like how we're dealing with this and so that's why I also wanted to have that conversation to just because now I am a lot more honest about my depression um but it's like okay no now whether it's with friends family or colleagues we need to talk about this and and we need to talk about of this um and yeah, when I heard the audio also, because I, I, I was in an abusive relationship for like 17 years. And when I heard the audio, mm. a lot of the anger that I heard from the side of, of Amber Heard took me back mm -hmm. to my anger towards yeah. my abuser. Um, how was that like you when you heard the audio um, relaying it back to, okay, so she might have borderline personality disorder and <laughs> yeah, this is well, why right right yeah well first thing I want to say is it's so interesting that it was easier for you to open up to your spoken word and art community than than the mental health community I mean isn't that just honestly right? crazy to think about yeah it's like, why <laughs> like why do we feel like and we know why it's like because there really is so much stigma in our field and like most people who aren't in our field, they think the stigma is just in the general population, but like, it is really not like, it's really mm -hmm. not. People are very judgmental of other clinicians that may mm -hmm. have an issue, but I think that, I think that's changing a little bit. I hope so. I uh, really do. Oh my God, me too. <laughs> so, uh, yes, when I was listening to that audio and, and also thank you for sharing about about your abusive relationship for so long. And I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I hope that you have found solace and just comfort and safety and are in a good place now. Um, Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. It was, it was, it was really hard to hear that audio. And what's interesting is it's kind of for a, an opposite reason, which kind of makes sense because we are in opposite roles. And mm -hmm. in this situation, for me, it was so eye-opening because I have worked with clients that have had borderline personality disorder, but you know, you don't, when they come in, I mean, I can relate to what they're saying is, is their behavior, their thoughts, their feelings, and their interpersonal relationships. But 
it's a conversation about those things. It's not an actual experience or me listening to audio or being in their house or watching these videos. And so it was the first time that I had ever heard an audio of another person with borderline personality disorder. And it was it potentially, and it was shocking how similar it was. I literally mm -hmm. thought I was listening to recordings of myself from 12 years ago. Wow. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> so I just, that is really like, that was really my response. And uh, that's why I reached out and I'm like, hey, we need to be careful here. Like I was reaching out to that major reporter, like, just please keep this in mind that this could be the case. Cause I know, you know, the root of it and how it really feels within. It feels absolutely incredibly horrible. So watching mm -hmm. those videos and listening to the audio, what was interesting was I also was on the side of Johnny Depp in terms of who should win the case. I, mm -hmm. I stayed away from being team whatever, because I do feel like, like that was like part of the issue. It was because in reality, even in the audio clips, even in the videos, like and even in a lot of the things that Amber said happened, I believe that a lot of the things that she said happened actually did happen. The yes. problem is, is that she completely removed herself from any like contribution, any violence, any, she completely put herself in the victim only role and that mm -hmm. is where I think the issue really came in because you could tell that like her lying about herself masked the truth that she was potentially telling about Johnny because she wasn't telling the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Right. And I, I sensed that because I, again, going back to like in the recordings and like I said, I would hear what she would say and it would remind me back of like my abuse and my anger I remember like yes I was angry at my abuser for abusing me I hated him you know mm -hmm. and then you see her in the stand and it's like no ever own it oh girl mm -hmm. you were angry <laughs> um so I love that you're saying that that she was making that detachment yeah I mean I also think like like when one of the instances, I think they were in Australia and she talks about just like how scared she was. And, and I believe it, you know, I'm kind of saying that in like a demeaning way, but just like how scared she was of what was happening and that there was like blood everywhere. And like, he was trying to get into doors and stuff and like, okay, maybe all that stuff did happen. But also we heard on the recordings that he was scared of you and that you were trying to get into doors and that you were contributing to the violence. And so mm -hmm. it's like, I mean, I would almost bet money or just not bet, bet, that sounds weird. I would almost guarantee that, um, that they were both abusing each other. And I think that, but that, see the thing with borderline personality disorder, if Amber does have it, something that that's so important to know if you're with somebody or if they're your parent or whatever, is that people with borderline more often than not will become triggered by something absolutely neutral that the other person has done. And so it's like Amber likely would lash out thinking and believing that Johnny had done something wrong when he didn't. And then Johnny would respond with like, 
what the hell is wrong with you, you know? And that's just going to set her off more. Now, substance right. use, prior history of like violence between the two of them and just, you know, they were really feeding off each other for a long time, like, you know, buying each other knives and just like, you know, saying that they're going to die together. Like it was a very like traumatizing relationship. <laughs> so mm -hmm. toxic. But yeah. I just, it's like she... And so then he, you know, he probably was doing things also. So they just, they weren't meant to be together. And he, he was not meant to have that article made about him that made her seem like he just did all these things to her and she was, and she was just completely the victim. And I think the last thing I'll say, because I've been going for a while is it was also absolutely horrid that she became, and like, I get her, I fully get her, horrid that she would come out as a face of domestic violence when she engaged in it herself also. Like I have engaged mm -hmm. in that with my husband. It's been a long time and it was both ways. I would never come out as a victim of domestic violence when I know that I equally engaged in it. It's just that it's not your role to do that. And she tried and did for years. Right. And yeah, I, I and then I wish you would have owned that a little bit more and I think she would have been maybe even a little bit understood. Like I said, like, I think yeah. that when, when I was listening to her and I heard that, I was like, yeah, own it. You were angry at him because uh, say what you were angry at him or, you know, so, okay. I guess what is your opinion as far as like, was he giving her reasons to be angry or were there times that you feel based on what you've heard obviously not making like any direct diagnosis or anything um mm -hmm. or do you feel that maybe sometimes it was her illusion that he might have done something that he didn't really do well one of the audios is so interesting and and it's really the the audio that made me think hmm that sounds oddly familiar she might have borderline and obviously you can't diagnose someone with an audio file, but she said something like, you told me that you needed a three minute break and you did not come back in three minutes. Now that from the borderline personality perspective for if, it, if this is the case, this is Amber's perspective, when people with borderline give space and opportunity for whoever, which is, this whole thing is not uh, healthy, but when they give space and time and trust to their partner and their partner breaks that trust, even if the partner doesn't even know like, hey, I'm giving you some trust. This is a super important thing for us to build our relationship and me to feel more secure. And the partner doesn't, you know, show up in three minutes, then it's like, you've done something wrong. And that's what the audio said. It said, you said that you'd be gone for three minutes. You needed longer than three minutes and you know, you didn't come back when you were supposed to. And he says, I needed more space so that I could calm down. And she said, do you know how that makes me feel when you tell me that you're only going to be away from me for this long? And then you, it ends up being that long. So that's like a great example of like, he didn't do anything wrong in that moment. And yeah. she thought that he did. I think one thing I'll say on the opposing side is one of the major issues for people with borderline is a fear of abandonment. And that does not only mean that the person that they want to be around them physically leaves. 
It also feels a lot like abandonment when your partner is significantly under the influence of drugs and alcohol, because then they aren't really mm -hmm. there either. And so I think that Johnny eventually realized that that he could do things and escape from her through substances or physically, and that would make her mad. And he did not care in certain moments. And the reason why I'm like, he did not care is like, he should have and could have cared if it was a healthy relationship, right? It was just so yeah. tumultuous that this was never going to work out well for either of them. Yeah, it was a very toxic relationship. And at the end, I think a lot of people did recognize that, you know what, this is toxic. This it does not matter what team you're on. It's just, this is not a good relationship. Um, for and for someone who might have uh, BPD or, or any sort of, of mental illness, how do you suggest as far as like approaching a partner, knowing mm. this about oneself? Uh, like That's... the abandonment or the three minutes, the minute count. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just, it really truly can get so ridiculous sometimes when we're deep, deep in it. And that's, I have to say, because sometimes people will clip what I say. I'm going to follow that up with, I do not think people with borderline or any personality disorder is ridiculous. I'm saying sometimes we, it, we ourselves can even feel ridiculous when we're on the path of healing and we're like, I can't yeah. believe that this upsets me so much. Like, oh my God. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, I've been with my husband for 17 years and for the first seven of them, uh, I had no idea what was going on with me. I truly was just a complete mess. And so we did not have any communication. It was a disaster <laughs> and it was a disaster for quite a few years after that. Um, and or I would say a few years after that. And now that I've been truly working on healing over the last five years, five to seven, um, we have discussions on a regular basis about the things that I, that I need in order to stay level-headed and these are mm -hmm. interpersonal things that I need between him and I. There are so many other things that I'm doing on my own. I should not expect him to change so that I change. I've been working on, like I'm on some medication right now because the last year was just really difficult. Um, and I have a therapist and I have a, you know, a psychiatrist, obviously. Um, and I'm just doing a lot of my own work. I'm working on whatever. I'm doing a bunch of other things to get myself back up to the level that I want to be. But with a partner, it's like, I would say that you, one, want to work on yourself. Have your partner be aware of the things that you're going to be working on on your own and anything that might get in the way of that happening. So it's like, for me, I was recently also diagnosed with ADHD combined type. And so for me, sometimes I'm in the zone and I'm trying to do something. And if I get distracted, especially when it's something that I'm actively working on my borderline symptoms or, you know, it's a general thing that will also help that, if I get like interrupted, I can't go back to what I was doing. And so, and that like can frustrate me. So like I have ADHD, but then my responses are disordered. My responses mm -hmm. come out as BPD. And so not all the time anymore, but they can very, very minimally. So he needs to be aware of that. So he is now. And then for moments 
you know, I would say this used to happen every day, but maybe now it happens like once every three to four weeks, which is really impressive for someone with borderline, um, is I'll have these moments where like, I can tell physiologically and psychologically that like, I'm just like getting really overwhelmed. And it's usually from an increase in anxiety or like a lot of distress for my ADHD if I'm in an environment where it's just, I cannot catch a break. And I have a hard time once it passes a, cer a certain threshold to know like that I've reached my limit. And then like, you know, my brain chemistry is changing. And it's like, if things don't go a certain way, like coping and having like my partner help me if he's there and knowing what to do if he's not, then I could just like become really impulsive or have a mood change, be angry for the rest of the day. And so he and I have worked together now where he'll help point out to me if he thinks that like he thinks I'm getting like just, you know, too, too much distress is being shown outwardly and he'll, and we've come up with a five step plan and which basically results in like, if we have our toddler with us, like, you know, what he says to our child, like mommy's going to go take a 10 minute break. And then like, you know, the things that I'll need to do. And so that's kind of a way where he can environmentally help. Mm -hmm. One thing, the last thing I'll say is boundaries are really important. And yeah. it's important because as the partner, especially my husband, for so many years, he did not have the boundaries that he deserved. And I really did. Like, I gave him anxiety. I have traumatized him at times. And it's tough, it's tough to say that, but it's, but we're healing and it was a long time ago. And I think it's important to say it. Um, and so like he, he got so hurt and nowadays it's like, he knows like his, his bound are both like, I just respect him so much more. Like I know his boundaries and I even help him out with his where I'm like, you know, this is not really a situation that, that you need to worry about, you know, like I got it. Mm -hmm. And like, it's in a helpful way. And, but boundaries can feel so hard, especially when the person with borderline is like, if you leave me, then this is going to happen. Or like, you know, with what Amber would say, uh, do you know how this makes me feel? And that's kind of like a, I don't care about your needs. You need to only focus on mine. And, and, and we don't ever want to be in a place where a partner um, of someone with BPD feels like their needs can't be met and they can't set boundaries or else. And I must say that it is so awesome hearing that it's possible to have mm -hmm. a healthy relationship. Um, you know, like taking off the, the social work hats and saying like, as someone who has a mental illness, it is possible to have a healthy relationship. I, I, mm -hmm. I love hearing that um, because, you know, personally, when I was in my abusive relationship for uh, 17 years, I'm the one that made it physical. Um, mm -hmm. And the reason that I made it physical is because I felt like I had endured so much emotional pain that yeah. I wanted him to feel some sort of hurt. Mm -hmm. from all the emotional hurt that he had made me feel. Um, and I, I've, I've processed that. I've worked through that. And um, I must say that, yeah, working on yourself is very important. I, I hope that both Amber and Johnny work on themselves mm -hmm. individually, you know, because 
it's very important when moving on to to another relationship that you you do make that that peace with yourself and that you do cope with a lot of those things um and it's very necessary to know what your needs are and i love that you are able to communicate that um with your partner also i joke around with my husband all the time like i love you 90 percent yeah um, right <laughs> um and he tells me like well what do you mean you're supposed to love me a hundred and i'm like no i love myself a hundred and ten percent yes the, the reason that i love myself a hundred and ten percent is because you need me to if mm. i don't love myself a hundred and ten percent he's not gonna benefit from me <laughs> you know wow. um and because of the abuse, I, I, I have to ask a lot of questions. I always need mm -hmm. to ask permission for stuff because I'm always afraid that like someone's going to get upset at me. But right. we've, we've been able to develop these very healthy boundaries. And so it's so awesome to hear that it's possible with other people. Yeah. I love hearing that um, because I think that if, if anything is taken away from this trial, from this podcast, you know, just from the message that we put out is that it's possible to have healthy relationships as humans. We want to have relationships with other humans. Um, and I'm not justifying the actions that I took when I was right. in, in, in my abusive relationship, but it's important that we do put that work in ourselves. Um, and it, yeah, that it's impossible to put that work in ourselves. Yeah, completely. And, and thank you for saying that and for sharing what you've shared. I, I think, yeah, people find it so um, interesting and kind of shocking sometimes that that I've been with my husband for as long as I have, and we've overcome, you know, all these different cycles, high school, college, young adulthood, having, owning a business together, having babies, and, 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 and like, we become different people through all those phases, and we've struggled with our own stuff, and and we're actually coming out with a podcast in not too long from now. And we're really going to dive into like, how do we think it was possible to overcome everything that we overcame and be in a better place than we've ever been before when some of the things that we were dealing with are some of the most difficult things to deal with when it comes to mental health. So hopefully it goes well, but I think it will oh help a lot gosh. of people. Yes, yes, definitely. And I think that it's very much needed. I really do think that, you know, with what's portrayed on social media, not only with the the trial, but with all these cheating men coming out. Oh, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's very necessary to, you know, also put out that message that if we work on ourselves, we will be more than likely to to find a partner out there that is able to work with us as well and we're going to be able to work with them and you know it's a partnership that's what it's called yes. um so thank you so much for having this this conversation with me um usually with all of my guests um i i read a, a little quote and ask them how, how they feel about it. Um, hmm. And 
so usually uh, I'll, I'll read the, the quote to them. Uh, in this case, I don't have a particular quote only because I really wanted. So the, the quote I usually say is theirs. And I like surprise them at the end of the like, <laughs> it's your quote. Um, but with you, I wanted to actually, um, I wanted you to let me know how you feel when you hear the importance of being nice to others. Hmm. Well, the first thing that comes up for me is like what you put out in the world is what you get back. But I don't actually believe that. <laughs> but that's the first thing that popped in my head. I believe it in some instances and I don't believe it in others. You know, for example, a super nice person to everyone can still get harmed or get abused. And so that's just, you know, so we're going to table that quote. Um, but I think when it's about being nice, you know, being nice to other people, you know, we know as human beings, everything that we are dealing with and we are the other to another person. Mm. So the other is not just everyone else, but us, we are an other. And so being nice to others is being nice to yourself, because if you're saying that you should be nice to others or that you are nice to others, you're hoping that people will be nice to you and they consider you an other and I think that's important to keep in mind, even with this case is like you were either team Johnny or team Amber. And it's like, there's actually like a lot of nuance and you could really be anywhere in there. And we're all a lot more similar than we are different. And so being nice to others is just remember you are the other to the other people in the world. It's, it's possible to be a kind and loving person who also refuses um, to take on people's bullshit. Yes. <laughs> that is your quote. I did get that from you. I love that. So true. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, just because I was seeing some of your stories uh, from last night and uh, mm -hmm. some of the, the bullying that's been going on in the in social media and the influ in influencers. Um, so yeah, I, I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about that. Um, but thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. So if my listeners want to find you, they could find you on Instagram, TikTok, where else? Yeah. So Instagram and TikTok at the period truth period doctor on YouTube. I have a show. It's the truth doctor show on Snapchat. I have a show it's called therapist reacts. And I would just say, stay tuned for the upcoming podcast. And I hope to I'm see you so in my community. <laughs> Thank yes. you. Awesome. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to see what's coming up next for you. Um, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And most importantly, thank you so much for being yourself. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was so great. And I hope it helped some people listening. Yes. Thank you.